last week, about a week ago, um, <clears throat> I was away. We spent five days, four nights trekking in the uh, high country. And we covered 45 miles and 7,300 feet in elevation gain. We saw lots of deer, rattlesnakes, bear. It was an amazing trip. One of the things that stood out to me and that we even uh, discussed is the fact that we had no service. You know what I mean? We were disconnected from the civilized world. We didn't know what was going on. It reminded us of a time that must have been that I knew a little bit just uh, as a youngster when television was still kind of dawning. We didn't know everything that was going on. And you know what? We still don't. We don't. But what we know is heartbreaking. Isn't it? Paul said, uh, weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. That's a call to compassion. The heart that Jesus had for the masses. Compassion doesn't question or even keep a distance from either pain or joy asking whether it's justified or not. It enters into it. And we should too. Because of the cross. There's no place for racism in our hearts. None. because of the cross, because of the compassion, because of the love, because of the dignity that God showed each and every one of us, not because we were justified, we merited it, because of the color of our hair or our skin, our nationality, the flag under which we fly. We are to be peacemakers because Jesus Christ has made peace between us and God. We need more peacemakers, and they should be us. The kind of peacemakers that step between enemies, that fear each other, To help them hear each other. So I just want to remind us that even though this last week has been a very hard week, and it is still going on even as we are here to worship, 
but it is the one whom we worship that calls us to this, to be different people. I am a different person than I was 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and 40 years ago. And as a child, when I was influenced by strains of racism, my heart has been changed by a great truth grounded in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that truth, that reality, that we can know, that we receive, that fills our heart with a great love, joy, and compassion, that beats with the very heart of God, that must change us, that we should be change makers. We may not be there or there. We may not know up close and personal or by name people that we know of because of this media-saturated world in which we live, where we know things that are almost just beyond our ability to bear. So great is the pain and the heartbreak of our world that we numb ourselves. We have to almost. I understand that. We can't live with that weight. We can't operate under such grief. But in our homes, in the people that we know by name and that we touch personally, we can be a change agent. We can be a peacemaker. We can be a voice for these truths that are changing our lives, that have changed our lives for eternity. Let's be that. Let's be that. This morning, I want to talk about uh, David's desert life one last time, at least uh, in this series, and, and wrap it up. Those seven, eight years that have been uh, a part of our series of singing, learning to sing in the desert. There were some noted qualities that marked David's relationship with God that made him different than a Saul that I wanted us to, to remember and to highlight. And there's certainly more, but certainly not less than these. I called it singing in the desert because David was in the desert, but deserts do not represent the easy life, do they? Deserts are harsh. But if we learn to live and thrive in the desert, we can thrive anywhere. And these are some strong characteristics of David's relationship with the Lord that I think are true of ours. They are certainly to be true in Jesus Christ. These characteristics of David in the desert are true of each of us in Jesus Christ. And we can do 
what David did. We can sing in the desert. And I want to run through, there's seven of them, because seven is a holy number, uh, a number of perfection uh, in the Bible, so I stopped with seven. And the first is, and these are things that we should remember. These are things that should be kind of pulsing in our lives on a regular basis. First is, we're unlikely candidates of God's choosing. The second is, we become leaders by becoming devoted followers. We don't stop at being followers. Following Jesus Christ leads us to be leaders. We're weak in our strength, but we're strong in God's strength. We're never alone when our fight is for the Lord. We're never alone when our fight is for the Lord. I'll explain that a little more. We are doers of good, the good in God's eyes. God is good, and we are doers of good. We surrender not to Saul's and Nabal's. We surrender to God. And I'll bring some things out about each of these points. And the final one is we turn to God. We turn to him and turn to him and turn to him because it's never too late. Let me start with the first one. We're unlikely candidates in God's choosing, of God's choosing. No one, you'll recall, saw David coming, so to speak. He was an unlikely candidate. When Samuel called a powwow with uh, Jesse, David's father, and his brothers, David was not included. David hung with the sheep. He was never imagined, never imagined to be the one that God had chosen. That's an important principle to remember when you think of yourself in the eyes of God. David was ignored because of his age. Sometimes, maybe a lot of times, a Jesse, a Samuel, an Eliav, his older brother, in the eyes of others, we are overlooked for one reason or another. That's not unlike the world. It has an an entirely different index of worth and value and potential. We look at the outside. In 1 Samuel 16, 6 and 7, The Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance 
or the height of his stature. That's to Samuel, the prophet, the judge, the last judge. Don't look on his appearance or his stature. And then the Lord adds, I reject that human index of potential. I reject that. I'm diametrically opposed to that. That is not the standard by which I operate. Humans, the Lord told Samuel, look on the outward appearance. I look on the heart. When Samuel took the message to Saul that God had rejected his kingship, it was because he said to Saul, God is looking for a man after his own heart. He looks upon the heart, not the outward appearance. Saul was a good-looking, strapping young man. That's not to say David in his youth. His age is the issue, it seems, primarily, that his looks were not handsome or becoming. You can be handsome. You can be beautiful and used of the Lord. You can have warts and used of the Lord. You can be a woman and used of the Lord. You can be a man and used of the Lord. You can be a son. You can be a daughter. You can be a mother, a father, a grandmother, a grandmother. You can be retired. You can be in junior high, high school, college. You can be a John Venema and used of the Lord because of your heart for him. Has nothing to do with your bank account, your intellect, your education, your status. But all of those things which I mentioned that are not disqualifiers get in the way. Some of us, we see with the eyes of the world. Our index is the index of worth and value and strength and beauty that the world operates and uses. And when the world fills our eyes, we can no longer see what God sees. We can't see how God could use me. We see ourselves through the eyes of others, and their eyes are flooded with the outlook of the world. I can't tell you the number of times over the many years that I've been in ministry where I've seen what God sees in a person, but that person doesn't see what God sees because they see themselves in the mirror through the eyes of the world. I can't tell you. I couldn't number the number of times that people have said, I can't do that. That's not me. Who's telling you that? You, David, out there, in your situation right now, that one that you're about to give up on, or that you can't think, I could make a difference? No, but you can't. 
with a heart after the Lord. That's a very powerful principle. It will take you places you never imagined. It will cause you to be a leader in your own home, in your own life, in your own neighborhood. You don't have to become somebody else. You have to become more like Jesus. You don't have to grow your hair long, wear a robe and sandals. You have to be more like his heart. His heart. To have a heart after him. What if David had chosen to see himself as others see him? There would be no first Samuel with David in it. Be like the David of first Samuel. We, number two, become leaders by being devoted followers. That young shepherd boy, and whether it was at the time or in reflection, said, the Lord is my shepherd. He leads me. He guides me. Psalm 23. If you let the Lord lead you where he wants to lead you, in your life right now, not in some other life, There will be times that you just won't go with the flow. There will be times that you resist your selfishness, your anger, your indignation. You'll think not of yourself, but of the situation and your opportunity to make a difference, to speak a word of love, of kindness, of goodness, to stand up for something's right that's right in a way that people can receive it without shaming them because you know you're just one like them. David's most remarkable acts, those that inspire courage and admiration, are notable as acts of following God. And yet in his following God we see him as striking out and standing up for something that's good and wholesome and healthy. We see him as a leader. Without title, without some special privilege perhaps, not as king, he has an instructive influence. He has true power. And he shapes the lives of others by his example. And that's what it means to become a leader through following. You don't feel strong when you're leading. You feel especially weak. But you're following faithfully as best you can. But that's how we grow. That's how we grow in wisdom. That's how we get better at following. That's how we learn that faith works that love is a power. That forgiveness is a weapon of love. That we have a voice that resonates with the heart of God. 
even without position and title. Because that's organizational authority. And some people jokingly call me the boss. And I know it's a term of affection because they know I'm not bossy at all. It's not at all about me. It's about principles. It's about following the Lord. I'm on the hot seat if I'm not following the Lord. I have to have a heart that receives reproof if I'm not following the Lord. See how that works? And when you're following the Lord and other people want to follow them, follow him, they get in behind you. You know, if you're leading the way, if you're encouraging them and you follow together, and it's a wonderful resource of fellowship. In the first letter of John, he says, we have this fellowship because when you walk in the light, and I walk in the light, we have fellowship one with another. That's the basis of fellowship. Not coffee, not common worship times, although those things are supportive, but true fellowship is based on walking in the light, walking in the Lord, walking with Him. That's in the first chapter of John 1-7, if my memory serves me correctly. A third thing, we're weak in our strength, but strong in God's. In Florence, Italy, stands one of the most impressive statues in the history of art, Michelangelo's David. It's 17 feet tall. It took him four years to carve that statue out of marble. It was unveiled in 1504. It's recognized as one of the great works of Michelangelo and of art. And the experts debate. But one thing among, on which there's a great deal of agreement is that, it, that Michelangelo pictured David as the quintessential fully realized Renaissance man, a man of power and seemingly limitless capability. We know David had his warts and weaknesses, but David in the Bible is such a man in his power and capability. But that power and capability is seen not when David is standing in his own strength, but when he's standing in the strength of God. In our last message, two weeks ago, we saw that, a time of great weakness, and he strengthened his hand in the Lord his God. In the wilderness of Ziph at Horeb, 
He was in a dark alley with no way out. Saul had him surrounded. Jonathan snuck into him and strengthened his hand in the Lord. David said in Psalm 61, 2, when my heart is faint, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. It takes humility. It takes an awareness of our weakness, not, not wanting to hide it, but to admit it. That's humility before God. And when we turn to him, that's dependence on God. I'm leaning on him. I'm depending on him. I need him to be a better version of myself. I need his perspective on the world. I need his perspective on other people. I need the kind of even-handed balanced, not prejudiced perspective on my own life as well as on the lives of those that are around me, whether they're above me, beside me, or below me. I need that. I need a power that enables me that I have so much trust in, so much gratitude for, so much confidence in its purposes and ends that I can say, I need your love. Not this trashy self-love that makes me angry or lash out or cheat or take advantage of others. I need your love. Pure, a holy love. It's as good for me as I know it is good for others. But it takes humility. You have to drop the facade. You have to quit worrying about yourself, winning the argument, getting the upper hand, whether letting go of something you were taught is going to hurt you, uh, come back to bite you, change the world that's comfortable for you. It's stepping out in the Lord. And in that moment, in the present, the only moment, the only present you and I can actually control, that's when the Lord can have control through humility, through recognizing our weakness, and that we're only strong in His strength. In Psalm 25, which is so appropriate to his desert days. He turns to the Lord, and the psalm is filled with expressions of a God who loves, forgives, instructs, and delivers. And David says, this God, he, hum he leads the humble in what's right. He teaches the humble his way. Chapter 25, verse 9 of, of the psalm. Humility is the heart of seeing our strength is in the Lord and not in ourselves. 
that his strength is made perfect in our weakness and that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, Philippians 4.13. But you see, David was different than Saul because they were serving different kingdoms. Saul was serving his own kingdom. So, of course, Saul is marked by fear his entire reign. Chapter 15, verse 17 and 24, I feared the people, I obeyed their voice. He, when you and I are serving our own kingdom, we have different eyes than the eyes that we have when we're serving God's kingdom, when we're pursuing God's kingdom. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God. His righteousness. Everything else will be yours. It will fall into place. But when we're seeking our own kingdom, after a world that has more kingdoms than you can count, and princes vying for power, you'll have different eyes. You'll fear the people. You'll see spiritual things through the crusted eyes of the world. And you'll know fear, defensiveness, narrowness, tininess, bitterness, pettiness. I like to get small in my own eyes so I can see how big our Lord is. It takes humility. I'm not always up to it. But that's a reminder to me to get small. Steve Martin got small, but that was a different kind. But actually, it was him who gave me the thought. And that's my little tag, my little reminder. Get small. When the world is overwhelming, when the fears are overwhelming, get small. Get, get down into the moment. Where am I? I'm at home, or I'm at work, or I'm on the road, or I'm in the market. I'm on a hike. I'm with friends. I'm at a wedding. Where am I? Get small. Get real would be a synonym. Right here, right now, how can you follow the Lord? How can you realize you are his chosen? How can he have control over your life to do good, to do the things he wants to do with a Christ-like heart, with the power of the cross coursing through you in all of the little things of our social world, our little middle-class world. Yes, it may seem impertinent compared to the peaks of horror in our world. And yet that is where we are today. And sometimes when we have our eyes on all those other things, we overlook that God wants us to be a leader right here, right down in the minutia 
of our lives. To strengthen the hand of another in the Lord. To be strong in the hand of the Lord yourself. Is it a small thing for a person to bring you a note of joy, of encouragement, of thanksgiving? Is it a small thing to think honestly about other people when it would serve us to malign or to wrong them in rumor and hearsay. Those are not small things. They become big things. But they are the things that often make up our world in which we can make a difference. We can be a leader. And I want you to know that you climb a ladder one step at a time, just like you climb a mountain. And when you stand at the top, you stand there because of the little decisions that you've made along the way. Those moments when you get small and say, you be my God. We're never alone in life's battles when our fight is for the Lord. Number four, we can sing in the desert because we can fight any fight in the strength of the Lord. But I want you to know His weapons are not the weapons of this world. And all too often we substitute our fights and our weapons for His. In 1 Samuel 17, verse 45 and 47, when David had been anointed, but he was still a nobody in the eyes of his brothers. He was carrying lunches to the battle. And it was he who said, and at times, yes, he forgot these very things, as do we, do we not? But he did say and say right, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. He, the Lord of hosts, is the one who wages battle. And he went on to say, the Lord saves not with sword and spear. The battle is the Lord's. How did the Lord win you? How did the Lord win the war? How did the Lord cast down the devil? His days are numbered. How did he do it? With sword and spear? He did it with a cross. Let us never substitute that cross for such trivial weapons of war. Take them up in our mouth. Take them up in our eyes. Take them up in our hands. Take them up with our feet. Battles come in all shapes and forms, even battles of our own making. But we can get our eyes off ourselves, off of others, and put our eyes on the Lord. In Psalm 54, 1 through 7, another psalm that was associated with his desert days, David sets the Lord before his eyes, and he distinguishes himself from his enemies, which do not have God before their eyes. In the battles of life, we must have God before our eyes, even when our enemies do not. And we must set our enemies before the eyes of God, because we now serve an anointed one. Jesus 
the Christ, which means anointed, who said, love your enemies. In other words, we shouldn't have any enemies, should we? Love your enemies. Do good to those who mistreat you. Bless those who curse you. If someone hits you on one cheek, turn the other. Read Luke 6, 27 through 36 this week. That is my life passage. And what's important about it is Jesus is saying, do you want to follow me? I have a different kind of kingdom. To follow me is diametrically opposed to the world. In the world, Jesus says in that passage, you love others who love you. What credit is that to you? You lend to others who will lend in return. What big deal. That's what he's saying. Big deal. You don't need me to do that. You're not following me, says Jesus, when you do that. You're following the people who love you, the people who will lend to you. You're doing what they do. If they, if they curse you, you curse them. So you're following them. If they bless you, you bless them. So you're following them. You don't need me. Because I follow the Most High. But if you follow me and if you follow Him, you will be like Him. Your Father, the Most High. You will be children of the Most High. Verse 35. And your reward will be great. Why is it that we can't be generous? Why? Because we're harboring our own treasure. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you'll have treasure greater than ever. But to follow me, you've got to be generous of heart. Is this hard for me? Horribly hard. Is following Jesus a walk in the park? Is this world a lazy road downstream for those who follow Jesus Christ? It is not. It is not. Number five, we're doers of good because the good in God's eyes is the good in ours. Saul did what was right in his own eyes, we're told again and again. The people of the book of Judges did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord because they did what was right in their own eyes. But David, even when he was told, as he was in chapter 24, do what's right in your eyes, David. David knew. It's not what's in my eyes that's right. It's what's in his eyes that's right. And he did it. He had Saul within his grasp. And he spared him as the Lord's anointed. Our character is formed by what we love. C.S. Lewis says, I know the two, command, the, new, the two great commandments. 
I guess I better get about to doing it. And that's true for all of us. Number six, we surrender not to Saul's and Nabal's, but God. It's hard to surrender functionally and practically in daily life to other people. But you are not surrendering to them. This isn't about ego. This isn't about me and you. This is about what's right and what's good. Never surrender to one another. Surrender to the Lord. Then you'll find it easy to surrender as required, to bow as required, to honor as required, to do good as required, whether your ego is pinched by it or not. That's the beauty of the gospel. I can bow to him, and it makes it easy to bow to you. To my wife. To my children. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes I'm wrong. And it's time to bow and fess up and say, I, I didn't do that right. I could have done that much better. Or I was just out and out wrong. I am, I'm sorry. What better witness and example, what better leader in the home than a Christ-like life? Coming out of mom or dad or big brother or out of little sister or brother. Setting an example in the home. We surrender not to our Saul's and Nabal's. We surrender to God. And we turn to God because it's never too late. Even after most of all Second Samuel and some of the things that are just hard, hard, hard to read about David. He says to Gad the prophet, when God has invested in the prophet the message of God's punishment for David's violation of what God wanted him to do. Something that was self-interested and egotistical. And David said to Gad, let me fall into the hand of the Lord for his mercies are great, but, not, but do not let me fall into the hands of men. I had a friend once, years and years ago, he left the church. But he came back, and he said, it's cold out there. It's cold out there. I walked away from the church. I don't even think I was really a Christian. But it's cold out there. It took a while, but I began to remember the memories of even the people that irritated me. And I thought, they're nicer, they're kinder, at least they were trying. And I realized the love of God is something extremely precious, unique, rare to the world. And we know it so, so well. We must let it cause us to be different, to be like Christ. Will you stand? I'm going to close in prayer. Listen, if the Lord has touched your heart, I'm going to be up here along with elders, their wives, pastoral staff, 
If you'd like to pray with us, pray for yourself, pray for someone else. If you don't know Jesus Christ, if you saw a little of Jesus this morning and you want to know him, if you want your world to be changed for something far better, be it a real difference maker in your home, in your world, and in this world, I invite you to come. Heavenly Father, thank you for your precious word, for your Son, Jesus Christ, for the power that you've poured out on us in your Holy Spirit. We love you. We want to be more like you. We cry with the world those things we know and those that we don't. May we make a difference where we are. May we be one who sings in the desert. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, God bless you.